Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday, we start off the weekend right by breaking down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Now, that being said, in today's episode, we've got Bitcoin price analysis. We've got lots to talk about Polkadot, Icon, ICX, and a whole lot more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates. Now, as we always do, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who watch my channel and listen to the podcast. If you want one of your questions answered, of course, please leave them in the comments below. You can tweet me at Hashoshi4 or leave them in the Hashoshi Discord, which is linked down below. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, follow the podcast, and hit the bell notification button so you can get a heads up whenever I post a new episode. So let's dive into these questions. Now, the first question is from Vercolin. Can you explain BSC versus ADA? And so I think this question is basically asking, what is Binance Smart Chain versus Cardano? Hopefully it's not just a direct comparison between the cryptocurrencies, but the long story short, and I'll distill this down into the most fundamental level, Binance Smart Chain is essentially an EVM compatible or Ethereum virtual machine compatible blockchain network that is sort of um, derivative or parallel to the Binance chain. So the Binance Smart Chain is an Ethereum compatible companion essentially, but it has its own security guarantees. So it's not a layer two. It doesn't rely on the Binance chain for security. It's its, its own blockchain. It's a sovereign blockchain but it uses sort of a modified consensus mechanism, which I think they call proof of stake authority or proof of stake with authority or something like that. It's basically a proof of stake network where your stake in the network gives you the right to validate blocks or to mint blocks. But they also have this sort of you know, authority mechanism where it's a very relatively small set of validators that help validate blocks. The reason for that is because they want this to be super fast. They want it to be super cheap. And that's why people are doing all sorts of DeFi projects on Binance Smart Chain. It's super cheap to use, but it's compatible with all the Ethereum tooling because it's EVM compatible. So that's what that is. You just have to know the differences. They've sacrificed some of the security and decentralization of the Ethereum mainnet that we have today because they want it to be super fast. So there's a trade-off. Cardano, on the other hand, is very different in and of itself because Cardano has been built basically from the ground up from scratch using formally verified methods, using a totally different tech stack, totally different consensus mechanism. It uses proof of stake, but it uses uh, stake pools. There's a delegating process. It's all very well tuned and well balanced. And ultimately, there are maybe some tangential similarities because they're both blockchains. They both, both are going to support smart contracts or you know, ADA is soon to have smart contracts and that sort of thing. But Cardano is so different than Binance Smart Chain in its very design. And so Cardano is going to implement things in a very different way than Ethereum has and subsequently than Binance Smart Chain. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of the differences between the two. Uh, they're very, very different and they have very, very different security guarantees and goals in the first place. And so hopefully that helps. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, second question is from G-Man. G-Man, I do enjoy your videos and style. Thank you very much. When will Cardano have all the features of ETH and be able to completely replace it? Yeah, I understand gas fees are terrible. And then secondly, when will people be able to build projects on Cardano instead of ETH? I actually think both of these are almost the same questions, so I'll answer them both at the same time just for, uh, for clarity's sake. Here's the, the first thing I want to clear up. 
I think it's unhealthy, unnecessary, and unwise for anyone in the Cardano community to look at Cardano's success as only possible or only viable if it completely replaces and destroys ETH. The whole idea of an ETH killer is stupid to me. Cardano is a fantastic project. I've been a fan of it for a long time. I'm a, a strong supporter of Cardano. I think a lot of the criticism laying towards it is a little bit unfair and one-sided. But that being said, I also think it's stupid to, to claim that Ethereum is just unilaterally terrible because Cardano exists because of what Ethereum has done, the inspiration that it's given the Cardano project, and also a clear idea of what needs to be fixed. So let's focus on that. In terms of of Cardano having all the features, the last real big thing that needs to happen, in my opinion, is smart contracts. And that should be here probably towards August of 2021. People are very upset about that timeline. I totally get it, but we've talked about this and I talked about it with Rick McCracken from the Cardano community here on the channel recently. In this case, it has to be done right the first time. There is no second try. So it's gonna take some time to get it right. I'm okay with the long testnet period. A lot of projects are going to be able to build their smart contracts with Plutus or Marlow, which are the two sort of smart contract options within Cardano, uh, as well as traditional programming languages like JavaScript, Python, etc. And so that'll be extremely, extremely valuable uh, in the future. That's the biggest missing piece that's going to happen this year. The second thing that needs to happen in terms of comparing to ETH is sort of this uh, this governance model. One way that you can improve the network right now is to give the people that run the network, the broader community, the ability to have a say in how the network is built going forward, how it's structured going forward, how it's updated, how it's upgraded, how rewards are handled, all of that network governance needs to be transitioned. And that's also going to come maybe not in 2021, but for sure by 2022. And that should give it a really good chance of fighting head to head with ETH 2.0. But to be honest with you, it shouldn't even be a fight. It should be both networks trying to work together to build really what the future holds, and that is decentralized technology as the mainstream. That being said, let's uh, let's talk about this last thing. When will people, people be able to build projects on Cardano instead of ETH? Like I said, I think that's going to be this year. I think by August or September of 2021, folks are going to be able to implement projects and put them on the Cardano mainnet. They're going to have been able to build and test their applications in probably a two month long public test net that's fully functioning. And I think we're going to see that happen. Uh, so thank you so much for your questions, G-Man. Uh, last question is from Ab Aboriginalian. That's a tough name to pronounce. Thanks. Uh, Benjamin Cowan's new video entitled Ethereum, the F word, uh, makes a case that the only reason any other blockchain will have cheaper fees is by compromising on either security, scalability, or decentralization. Okay, so if we compare the Ethereum mainnet right now using proof of work to other blockchain networks and say other blockchain networks do not have the same security guarantees as Ethereum, I would say to an extent that claim is somewhat true. But... There's a big but here. Ethereum 2.0 is moving to proof of stake. It's moving to a proof of stake environment with sharding. It's moving to a proof of stake environment with rollups. And those are the means by which it's going to scale. There are a lot of other blockchain networks right now that use a lot of those mechanisms, I guess, minus rollups. There's a lot of uh, sharded networks. There's a lot of networks that use uh, different means of scalability. But most of the time, sharding is one that's often widely regarded. Networks like Elrond, for example. Proof of stake is also used for scalability. 
There is no way, including for Ethereum, to scale without sacrificing on that sort of trilemma, right? There is that classic trilemma, Vitalik has talked about it before, and it really involves those three characteristics. Ultimately, the problem that we have is that when you build out a new blockchain network, you need to make changes to make things more scalable, to make fees cheaper. Ethereum is going in that direction. So to say that all other networks who are building and have implemented maybe some of the ideas that Ethereum is going to implement in Ethereum 2.0 and to say, well, those don't have the security guarantees. Well, we're building with Ethereum, we're building those things that those networks use, but we're not sacrificing on those things, but they are. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense to me. This is a nuanced science. There's a lot of ways to go in and evaluate these things, but there's very few ways to actually tangibly measure on some of these things except for transaction throughput, for example. I think my main point overall is that while some of what is said in that video is actually quite true, I think that the implication or that the the theme of it doesn't apply long term because Ethereum is going to be changing the way that they do things drastically in the next couple of years as you move to Ethereum 2.0. And it's going to look very similar to a lot of the other projects that are out there like Elrond, for example, that have implemented a lot of the same concepts as you see in the ETH 2.0 spec. So ultimately, I think we're going to see a lot of these things become less and less viable and less and less true. We're going to have to get to the point where there's a network that solves for scalability, that solves for decentralization, that solves for security, and fixes that trilemma. And it's probably going to happen. So we just have to wait and see. Now, that's going to do for the questions, guys. Let's go ahead and dive into the rest of the news. Now, just a friendly reminder, folks, please be aware of scammers in the comments that are posing as me. If the comment does not have the name highlighted like you see her on the screen, it isn't me and you can report them. I will not ask you to contact me on WhatsApp or my trading partner or anything like that. And if you're new here every week in partnership with the folks at Kobo, I give away a Kobo tablet steel sieve raise backup in every episode by picking from a random comment on the video. So just for transparency, the product is only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported region, I'm just gonna send you some Bitcoin instead. So the winner of last week's giveaway for the Kobo is here on the screen and a big congratulations to you. I will be in touch for you to claim your prize. Now for our daily dose of Bitcoin and BTC price analysis, this week started out with more of the trademark volatility that we've seen these days with a big flash crash to kick us off for the week. But things took a nice turn towards the end of the week with a strong showing on Friday, breaking back up near 60K along with the green across the crypto markets to support big old Bitcoin. In terms of what catalyzed this big green day, it's really hard to say, but to me, it's a result of strong support after two or three weeks of consolidation that we've been talking about here on Crypto Over Coffee. From here, I would expect maybe one more mid to upper 50k consolidation and then I would start thinking about a potential leg back up over 60k or even higher than that to a new all-time high. Will we get a new to all-time high for Bitcoin in the coming weeks? I'm optimistic that we will. Personally, I'm optimistic. However, these predictions are often made very much more difficult with the plethora of unusual macro effects that will be present in the near future. For example, it's unknown how the impending initial public offering for Coinbase will affect the crypto markets. It could be a really good thing that brings more attention and even money into the space, or it could present a situation where institutional investors divest from Bitcoin and other cryptos to bet on the broader crypto market by buying Coinbase and stock, which they're traditionally 
uh, more interested in. It's really hard to say how this plays out, but what do you think? Will the Coinbase IPO help or hurt Bitcoin and crypto at large in the short term? That's a question. There are also other implications, such as the seemingly never-ending rumor about India banning crypto again, and the huge infrastructure proposal in the US that may or may not be followed by more stimulus. So there's lots of balls up in the air that could affect how things play out. We shall see. Now, anyone who watches the channel consistently knows that I'm a big proponent of using VPNs whenever you are using the internet. So whether you build your own or use one that's on the market, it's best practice to browse less transparently, particularly on open or unsecured networks. Now that said, one of my favorite VPNs is ExpressVPN, and I've been testing out their new homegrown lightweight VPN connectivity protocol since its recent launch. And I wanted to share my thoughts on that because I think it's super impactful and I've really been enjoying it. And by the way, if you're looking for a VPN, I would highly recommend ExpressVPN. And of course, my referral link is in the description down below if you're looking for a VPN. Nowadays, most people's internet browsing and usage is on mobile devices, iPhones, iPads, Android phones, etc., or just on the computer on the go. And usually these are on brittle and inconsistent mobile networks or stretched Wi-Fi connections, and that doesn't play nicely with VPNs most of the time. However, Lightway, this new protocol from ExpressVPN is built to be super flexible and lightweight, which not only lets you connect faster to your server of choice, but it also means the connection will reactively adjust depending on your connectivity status. Furthermore, the protocol is lighter on your device's resources, make, meaning that you're going to save battery along the way as you use it. And based on my testing, I can tangibly tell the difference between Lightway and other options that are on the mobile app and iPad app in particular. In addition to connections happening faster and staying connected more effectively, battery usage is also better throughout the day. Of course, that's anecdotal because it's harder to quantify perfectly. There's lots of variables there. In terms of security, Lightweight utilizes Wolf SSL, which is a widely audited and battle-tested cryptographic or cryptography library that establishes the core encryption used to protect your data, including the now industry standard perfect forward secrecy mechanism, which constantly rotates encryption keys to keep hackers at bay. Now, the Lightweight protocol is on its way to being fully open sourced as well, which will allow anyone to independently verify and audit the protocol, which I commend, and I'm really glad they're doing that. Now, in honor of all of this, I think it makes sense for you to get to try Lightway yourself. So I wanted to offer up two free ExpressVPN premium accounts to randomly selected folks who comment on this video and are subscribed to the YouTube channel. So if you want to get yourself a top quality VPN free of charge, comment down below and get subscribed and I will pick random winners next week. Now, it's been a while since I reported on some Chainlink news. But today there is a story that I simply could not let slide out of this episode. I'm actually very selective about what I put in these episodes. So as part of an ongoing collaboration between the Oracle Network Project, Chainlink, and the interoperability juggernaut, Polkadot has rendered its first tangible software product result. And it comes in the form of a Polkadot Network compatible price feed module. Now this has been very interesting and has specific implications for projects building Polkadot compatible blockchain networks called parachains, which can best be accomplished using the core blockchain development framework for parachains, which is called Substrate. Now those parachains that are being built can now easily plug in a module, which is called a pallet in the Polkadot world, sort of a foundational layer, 
for Chainlink price feed oracles that use the substrate framework and SDK uh, at its core. And what this ultimately results in is a very powerful tool at the base layer of purpose-built blockchains or parachains on the Polkadot network to use for DeFi applications especially. The fundamental requirement for most DeFi lending protocols, savings and yield apps, and more is a reliable and decentralized price feed oracle for the various cryptocurrencies that are supported. You need to know the prices. And for Chainlink, this is payoff for the focus put on working with interoperability networks like Polkadot this past year. And I'm very excited for what this will do for Chainlink adoption and also for Polkadot as parachains come into the mix. Now, speaking of Polkadot, actually, there is another big piece of news there because my favorite NFT-related project, Engine, just announced the completion of a nearly $19 million funding round to build an NFT-focused blockchain in the Polkadot ecosystem, which will bring scalable cross-chain NFTs to users across the crypto world. Last week, I told you about a mysterious new blockchain network that Engine was working on, and this is it. On the new blockchain, Engine's existing token holders will be able to stake their ENJ tokens to earn a new utility and governance token, EFI. However, the bigger story is that this blockchain is going to be an absolute beast for NFTs, bridging a very fragmented ecosystem that we have right now today into one conglomerate or cohesive uh, network. In fact, the focal point of this new blockchain will be an adaptation of the game-changing NFT token standard that Engine built, ERC-1155, which will be augmented with the ability to transfer NFTs from one blockchain to another using the broad interoperability tech that's being built today with projects like Polkadot. I will be creating a deeper dive on Efinity, the name of this new blockchain, in the coming weeks, so stay tuned, but this is huge news and further indication that Engine means business. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this video get some attention from the YouTube algorithm gods or the podcast algorithm gods, please do hit that like button and get subscribed because it tells those those robots that run the show that you're enjoying the content and other people might also do the same so thank you for that in advance and just to prove i'm drinking coffee this week because people have been asking it's in a glass mug this week now this week's absence of logic is by no means intended to target any individual but it may come off that way when i talk about the realities of the responsibility we take when we invest in and hold custody of our own cryptocurrency so you have been warned I've been in the crypto space a long time myself, and, and every single year, the mainstream media grabs hold of a narrative about someone who lost a huge sum of money due to cryptocurrency scams that target one seed phrase, and then they kind of try and claim that crypto sucks, right? That's the idea. Most recently, a story has been making headlines about a person who lost their life savings to the tune of around $600,000 at the hands of an iOS app that posed as a Trezor hardware wallet companion application. This user presumably entered their seed phrase into this mobile application, downloaded from the App Store, and subsequently saw the Bitcoin in the wallet stolen as the hackers had the one true key to the castle, the seed phrase. Now, this individual is now claiming that Apple, who is responsible for curating and removing malicious apps from the App Store, should be held accountable for the loss of funds because they did not remove the app permanently from the App Store. There's a lot going on in there in terms of was it removed, was it not, did it come back, etc. Now, this person is not the first and will certainly not be the last to make this mistake. And I do not want to come off as harsh or vindictive towards this person because if I were in their shoes, I would surely feel the same way and want someone to bail me out of this absolute nightmare. 
My empathy for this person should not be put into question, nor should you consider this an attack on this person. However, this does not change the reality of the situation. This individual bears a large majority of the responsibility for this, albeit horrible outcome. When you make a decision to take custody of your cryptocurrency in a hardware wallet, you must understand the responsibility and the best practices therein. They're, they are well documented, they're everywhere. First and foremost, you never, ever, under any circumstances, enter your seed phrase from your hardware wallet or software wallet for that matter into a piece of software, only on the hardware wallet itself. I repeat, your seed phrase should only be written down in a safe place, on paper maybe, or on metal, and then entered using the interface on the hardware wallet device itself, no apps or anything. Secondly, know that in order to track the balance of your cryptocurrency, you only need your cryptocurrency addresses, not the private keys. So anyone asking you for that in a wallet management application is scamming you. The seed phrase should be treated exactly the same as your private key, because with it, anyone can spend your cryptocurrency. And finally, it is your responsibility to understand the usage pattern for your hardware wallet, whether there is a web app, a desktop app, a mobile app, or not. Even with a modicum of research, this person would have seen that Trezor does not yet have a mobile app and know that this is a fake app. Now, some responsibility, of course, does fall with Apple and other app stores for allowing a clear phishing app to exist on the app store. But that just shows the fallibility of the automated systems that try to eliminate these threats. They are not perfect and they will not always protect you. There is no guarantee that this will per be perfect and there is really no guarantee legally either. You have to take this responsibility seriously, not just for crypto, but for banking too, because the same scams are happening there. This is just one individual, one example of the same cyclical problem. People do not understand the responsibility that is involved in self-custody of crypto, and that has to change. I feel awful that this keeps happening, but it is us who have to change our behavior because hackers won't. They'll keep coming and they'll keep innovating. They'll keep making it harder to spot and we have to adapt. So remember, inputting your seed phrase on any software, unknown internet connected device is a simple and clear 404 logic not found. Now, as part of my ongoing partnership with Icon's public representative and blockchain evangelist, Icon Plus, I wanted to discuss the blockchain transmission protocol being developed by the Icon team. So big thanks to Icon Plus, by the way, who have been kind enough to help me collect the coolest Icon-related news each week so I can do more to share about one of the projects that I really, really love. So the Blockchain Transmission Protocol, or BTP for short, is a blockchain interoperability protocol that has been under development in the Icon ecosystem for a good while now. And it's built on the same fundamental principles that Cosmos and Polkadot's interoperability networks have been. And put simply, that is that blockchain maximalism is nonsense. So let's build an internet of blockchains that gives people the choice whether they want to use one network over the other in a larger network of sovereign blockchains. Now, the big news here is that several projects in the Polkadot ecosystem have begun integration with the BTP, which will enable those prospective parachains, if you will, to connect to the ICON network securely and freely to create these sort of cross-network use cases. So Akala, Moonbeam, Edgeware, and Plasm are the substrate-based blockchains that are going to be a part of this BTP integration. And it will open up a hopefully ever expanding interoperability relationship between Icon and Polkadot. So it's finally coming together, folks. Do you see the internet of blockchains coming together in real time? There's networks from all over the world that are starting to bridge together and still remain sovereign, but work together freely. I'm super excited about it.
Now, folks, that's going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee this week. I barely even really got to drink coffee because there's so much exciting stuff to talk about. So uh, it's my third cup of coffee, so no huge loss. But I wanted to thank you so much for spending time uh, watching this channel, listening to the podcast. And if you have time, please do check out this video about the top three VPN picks that I have out there. And I hopefully will help you make a decision if you're looking for a VPN for yourself or your family. But regardless of that, thank you so much for spending time here on the channel. I hope you and your family have a wonderful weekend and week ahead. And until next time, cheers. Thank you.